Conference realignment is far from over, and today we are going to discuss UConn and Gonzaga as potential options for the already loaded Big 12 Conference. Let's get into it. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey folks, welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, a daily national podcast, part of course of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton. Today's episode of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions apply. Well, folks, I am thrilled to be joined today by Noah Bono. Noah spent time at Ryder and Duquesne and is now a video coordinator and scout at Run the Show. And last year, he helped host the very successful and very, very fun Gimme Timmy podcast with, of course, Gonzaga legend Drew Timmy. No, I'm excited to talk about all of that stuff. Excited to talk about Drew Timmy, one of my favorite college basketball players of all time. But before we get into that, I didn't expect that an early August show would have a lot of news to be dissecting. College b- basketball in particular has typically not had a 24-7 year-round news cycle, but here in my first year as the full-time host at Locked On College Basketball, of course, it is news after news after news. The transfer portal is never ending. There is legislation all over the NCAA about NIL, all this stuff, and now conference realignment dominating the headlines in college athletics. We know Oregon and Washington are in the Big Ten. Talked about what that means for those two programs on Monday's episode. Four corner schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, follow Colorado into the Big 12. The Pac-12 is left with just four programs, Stanford, Cal, Washington State, Oregon State. Seems like there's going to have to be a merger of sorts. All that stuff coming your way on future episodes of Locked On College Basketball. But for today, Noah, I want to talk about the fact that the Big 12 doesn't appear to be done. They are at 16 schools, and they are hell-bent on getting to 18 schools. And one of the schools they are still considering adding coming out of the Big East Conference is the defending national champion UConn Huskies. And you look at a Big 12 that already had Kansas, already had Baylor, West Virginia, Iowa State, Texas Tech, very, very good basketball conference. They go ahead and add Houston, one of the top five programs in the last couple of years. Now they add Arizona and Arizona State, another solid program as well. And now they're looking to add UConn. I'm not sure if you can get greedier as a conference than trying to add somebody like UConn and Gonzaga to your already basketball power dominated conference. But I'm curious your thoughts on what a conference like that would look like adding a team as prestigious as the UConn Huskies. Yeah, I mean, I I think it would be crazy. I think we're all in that window of like, wait, would that really happen? Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like UConn's bounced around quite a bit from the Big Mm -hmm. East to the AAC, back to the Big East. Mm -hmm. And I think I don't stand alone when I say this. I think everybody just, when you think of UConn, you think of them being in the Big East. Yeah. You know, obviously the money is going to be much different, and that's why they would make Mm -hmm. a decision like that. Mm -hmm. I just think for the state of the game and, like, the culture of, like, Big East basketball and Mm -hmm. having UConn playing at the Garden and just being in that mecca, that's just, Mm -hmm. like, what we all know. So yeah. the change on the other side of like, wait, they wouldn't really join the Big 12, would they? Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah. think there's uh, there's naturally going to be a lot of resistance to that. But yeah, it feels like it's just kind of 
discomfort like is kind of where i'm at at least i'm a west coast person born and raised in oregon farthest east i've ever lived is spokane washington like i am born and bred west coast and for me watching the pac-12 just disintegrate in front of my eyes has been a really kind of startling thing and and people say oh it started 14 months ago with usc and, and ucla like sure it did it's not like it was completely out of left field but for 13 months it kind of felt like they were going to pull it off and then suddenly it was just it's gone. I mean, it's, it's gone. And that's a really strange thing to be reckoning with as again, somebody in my position who lives out here and who that's the football that I watched and Pac-12 mm-hmm. after dark was at 7 PM for me. It wasn't at 11 PM like it was for many people on the East coast. So it's, it's a really interesting thing. And you think about the big East and, and this conference that was such an absolute power in the eighties and in the nineties, I mean, just a purely dominant basketball conference and, and certainly things changed a little bit and we had the kind of dissolution of the big East. So 10 years ago, and now of course the, the, the rumors of the demise of the big East were, were greatly exaggerated. The conference is, is clearly fine. We saw last year, UConn finished fourth in the big East and then won the dang national championship. Like that conference is absolutely stacked with Marquette and yeah. Creighton and Xavier. Uh, and even on a down year for Villanova last year, now you got, Georgetown probably on the way up with their new coach. Rick Patino goes to St. John's. Like it feels like this conference is going to be fine, but I agree with you in the sense that seeing these rivalries that we're used to seeing, like, do I think seeing UConn play Arizona every year would be cool? Yeah, it would be awesome. Tommy Lloyd versus Danny Hurley. Like that's an incredible matchup, but I miss the regional aspect it's called the Big East for a reason. And seeing UConn in the garden against teams like St. John's and Villanova and Seton Hall, like that's what I feel like college basketball is about. And I know these moves are made primarily with football in mind. Even with a school like UConn, the football program does matter. It's why they're preferenced over Gonzaga, even though UConn's football program is not good. It is better than a complete lack of a football program that Gonzaga has. And so for me, I just... I'm, I'm going to miss the regional aspects if this does happen, but it's understandable why UConn would want to do this. And I feel like that's kind of where you're at with it as well. Is that right? Yeah. And I also, I'm now that we've seen like a lot of parody mm-hmm. in, in the basketball world, yeah. in college, in the NBA, different pe- different teams winning every year. Like I more so look at it as like the keep it spread out a little bit where like mm-hmm. the Big East, obviously the Big East will still be competitive, but like sure. the fact that, they, they remain in the Big East for the regular season. And, you know, those schools leaving the Pac-12 and going to the Big 12 is like, okay, well, now all of the all of the power is just in this one conference because right. the ACC has taken a backseat in the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Um, and there's still the Big Ten who always has anywhere from five to nine tournament teams every right. year. And, and nobody win, in the Sweet 16. <laughs> yeah, and wins nothing, but that's besides the point. The thing is that, like, I just like the disparity, mm-hmm. you know, around all of college basketball yeah. and i don't know what the pac-12 is going to do I, mm-hmm. I guess they'll try to look like in the mountain west yeah. And yeah. i'd like to see like the aac has fallen mm-hmm. off so much yeah. in the last couple of years it's really just been houston and memphis mm-hmm. and now it'll just kind of be memphis alone at the top yeah and it's good for houston because they'll have a better yep. conference schedule i mean even though they didn't struggle getting a one seed the last couple of years not being right. it. but point is is i think it's just another like, well, no one's going to care about the AAC now. Like, why? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to watch an AAC game. I mean, yeah. maybe I will, but you know, I'm not going to watch Tulsa and South Florida. Like, there's it right. seem like the stakes are going to be that high, knowing that the top yeah. dog in that conference is no longer there. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a, a really interesting dynamic of this is that some of these smaller conferences are really who suffer. Like if the if the Mountain West and the Pac-12 merge, that's probably good for the Mountain West. But uh, if, you know, if, if six or seven Mountain West teams join the four Pac-12 schools, then what happens to the the other Mountain West teams? Do they go to the WCC? Does the WCC then kick out teams like Pacific? Like it feels like you're just kind of there's this ripple effect that eventually a few programs are going to just get completely left out altogether. And I, I don't think there's going to be huge tears for like, you know, Pacific or something like that. But it's sad that these are the ramifications and kind of on that topic. What I wanted to ask you too, Noah, is, is about the Big East. If UConn does leave, the Big East goes from 11 to 10. They could, in theory, look to make some additions. And Gonzaga is part of that conversation. And we'll talk about them momentarily. But they may also try to pull out of the A-10. And again, I know the A-10 is a conference you have some famili familiarity with being on Duquesne's roster for a couple of years. And, and so to me, like Dayton, St. Louis, they make some sense. Geographically, it's a little bit of an odd fit, but it could work. It's certainly a better fit than Gonzaga would be. Um, and they're some pretty premier basketball programs. I'm curious your experience with those schools. Do you think they could compete in the Big East? I know it would really hurt the A-10 as a conference pretty significantly to lose those schools, but feels like that might be a logical solution for the Big East were they to lose UConn. Yeah, I mean, I would the teams I would shade to in the A-10 that could be of any possibility with the best chance of having mm -hmm. some success is Dayton, mm -hmm. St. Louis, mm -hmm. VCU, mm -hmm. um, and I would maybe stop there. Um, yeah. I, I think that those would be the – and maybe not even St. Louis, I think mm -hmm. Dayton and VCU would yeah. have the best chances of being able to pull in mm -hmm. some high-level recruits if they did turn into a Big East school. Obviously, yeah. that transition would be hard to, like, win right away. Mm -hmm. um, but we've seen them be ranked and, you know, pull in a guy like Obi Toppin and right. make him as good as he was and, you know, what they were their two-seed that year. So yeah. I, I think that they, like, you know, could fend for themselves. Mm -hmm. I do think it would weaken the A-10 inevitably. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't know where they'll look. They'll have to look to pull from somewhere because you're mm -hmm. going to have to replace it and keep it competitive. I always think it's funny too when they say the Big East and you look mm -hmm. at the map of where Marquette is and it's like right. <laughs> literally almost on the western half yeah. of the country and it's like, okay, well, that doesn't make any sense. But, yeah. <laughs> so I guess they'll just pull because I always think of the conference names. And I'm like, oh, well, they're on the West Coast. They can't go to the Big East. That's just geographically not allowed. Right. But it actually does not matter. No, <laughs> like they'll, take, they'll take anybody. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be an A-10 school. If they could, I don't know if you mentioned Gonzaga being in that in that yeah. mix. I don't know. I don't know if Gonzaga will ever make the jump. But because mm -hmm. I had, for, I think we all thought this was Gonzaga would mm -hmm. maybe make a move to the Pac-12, if not mm -hmm. the Big 12, if they ever yeah. decided to move. But them going to the Pac-12 looks more dead than ever now. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I want to kind of talk about going forward with, you know, is, is what does this mean for Gonzaga? Because they're kind of a school kind of hung out in the middle here uh, with the Pac-12 now kind of turning into nothing uh, or at least some merger with the Mountain West. The Big 12 seems to be fairly full, but your mark, the commissioner over there, he's he's gunning for getting to 17 or 18. And if UConn's not in the mix or even if UConn is in the mix, I could see a potential where Gonzaga gets that invitation. And I want to chat with you about that after a word from today's sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, and that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs, because LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's so easy to create a free job post, and then you just add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. 
From there, simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so that you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. And let's be honest, the right team member can have a positive and measurable impact on your business. This is why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That is linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Folks, want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen of the day. Shout out to those everyday listeners as well, checking us out on YouTube. We got more conference realignment talk coming later in the week. We'll continue to keep you updated on a still happening transfer portal, all that fantastic stuff later this week. But for now, Noah and I, we're going to continue our conversation about the Big 12's hunt for schools number 17 and 18 and talk a little bit about Gonzaga basketball. Noah, you had the fortune of getting a chance to presumably watch a fair amount of Gonzaga basketball last year, or at least get a good inside scoop on what was going on with Gonzaga basketball as the host of the Gimme Timmy podcast with Drew Timmy. I do want to talk about your experiences talking with Drew because he's one of the most fun people I've ever interacted with, and I'm sure you have some fun stories there. But before we get into that, I do want to talk a little bit, stay on this conference realignment conversation and kind of just talk about Gonzaga's fit here because UConn would have to make the decision to leave a conference that's very, very good that, I mean, didn't hurt them at all in their quest to make the NCAA tournament championship last year uh, and that they have this rich history with. Gonzaga obviously has a history in the WCC, but no one's going to have any debate about how much better the Big 12 conference would be. And this is coming from somebody who loves the WCC. I truly do. But, I mean, this isn't even close. And if Gonzaga has the opportunity, there's a lot of people out there who are going to say, oh, this program would collapse. There's no way they would be able to win. And, like, look, they're not going to go 37-1 and like they did in 2017. They're not going to go undefeated like they did in 2021 with Jalen Suggs. But the idea, at least to me, that Gonzaga wouldn't be able to hang in the Big 12 feels kind of frivolous. Again, they're not going to be – they're not going to, they're going to lose more games, but it feels to me like they'd still be pretty competitive. Is that from, from getting to watch them a little bit last year and talk with Rudy, you feel like this is a team that could make that jump if they needed to. WCC is less competitive than the big 12 would be that that's, you're mm-hmm. not saying anything. When people say that it's, it's obvious. Yeah. And it, right. of course they're not going to go 37 and one. Of course they're not mm-hmm. going to be as dominant mm-hmm. as they would be in the, in the WCC, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're going to go to the big 12 and stink. Right. There's, there's, I think that if they went to the Big 12, there's a legitimate 0% chance that they stunk, that they yeah. were a bottom-tier team. Yeah. I think it's completely asinine, makes no sense that it yeah. can even – like that's just to me like when people just hate on a program. Yeah, it's like, oh, hate. I hate Gonzaga. So like they would suck if they went to the Big right. 12. They would suck if they were – no, they wouldn't. No, they yeah. wouldn't because their culture, their coach, yeah. their whole vibe mm-hmm. and demeanor as a program yeah. is as high level as you need it to be. It's It's in the realm of like – the Warriors, the Yankees, <laughs> yeah. the Lakers, like, yeah. all, well, maybe not the current Lakers with what had been going on, Fair. but you know what I mean? Like just the culture of that environment, <laughs> like the Patriots, they're not a losing team. They don't, right. they're not losers over there. Mm-hmm. So I don't think like you could plug them into any conference and they're going to figure out a way to finish in the yeah. top half of the conference. So I always just, every time I hear it, I'm like, we're not mm-hmm. speaking logically. If we say that this powerhouse basketball school is going to have any trouble mm-hmm. winning elsewhere. Sure. Right. They're going to lose more games, but it ain't going to depict that like, Oh, right. they're actually a dog shit program. No, no, no. They're solidified <laughs> yeah. as a as a bona fide, amazing, historic mm-hmm. college basketball program. And they always will be. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's what it, it's so striking to me that people make comments like, well, what happens if Mark Few leaves? It's like, yeah, like that's the, the program's going to change, but the culture is, is there. It's not like he is a hundred percent of it. He's not even close to a hundred percent of it. And I know people were worried when Tommy Lloyd left, he'd been there for 20 years and was really a, a big catalyst for their international recruiting and a lot of their success. Uh, and anybody in the program would tell you, yeah, losing Tommy hurt, but like, the idea that Tommy going to Arizona means that when Mark Few leaves, Gonzaga is just going to become like every other school in the WCC is is tremendous to me. I can't believe that people are genuinely afraid of that. Like Gonzaga has built a brand that is going to outlast their current coach, and he deserves so much credit for building and maintaining that brand, but it is not solely him. And to me, getting this team into another conference and getting them you know, so start being able to recruit without having the, well, like, you know, you're in the WCC attached to them. They're going to recruit even better and they're going to get better. And to me, like them joining a new conference isn't going to hurt them. In, it's going to hurt their Mark Few's overall win-loss record, but he's going to be totally fine with yeah, that. But again, who his... cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're going exactly. to lose games. It don't matter. Yeah, 100%. Well, no, I want to talk about Drew Timmy because – Whenever given the opportunity, I like to talk about Drew Timmy because he was such a fun character to follow for four years at Gonzaga, a tremendous career. And last year, he started to launch his media career, something that seems fairly possible will be in the cards for him after his basketball playing career is over, which will hopefully be a long time from now. But you got the opportunity to host that Gimme Timmy podcast. And I'd kind of love to hear from you just a how it kind of came together for you and drew your kind of opportunities to meet each other and kind of get familiar as you started this podcast together and kind of just what that experience was like for you getting a chance to, to work with, with Drew. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Um, oh man, the Gimme Timmy podcast was absolute blessing. And it was honestly like some of the most fun that I've had. And I've only been out of college for a year and a half now, but mm -hmm. like, since being out of college and even during my last couple of years at Duquesne, like that, because I had a lot of different regimented routines, whether it was like being on the Duquesne team and everything that comes with that on a day-to-day -day basis, or then mm -hmm. starting to work out of college and, you know, doing player development and doing that every day. Like then I started doing the Gimme Timmy podcast and that became like very regimented and, you know, yeah. cemented in my everyday routine because like it was my job. And, mm -hmm. you know, I like I was attached to this big name, like Drew Timmy, it was his last mm -hmm. year. And, I kind of just wore it with a lot of pride of yeah. like, you know, it's on me to help make this guy's brand look even better mm -hmm. and to showcase him as like, you know, like you said, opening up his media career and yeah. him as a media talent and like all these different components that came along with it. And so like, I really, I, you know, I absorbed it as, as though it was a full-time job. Mm -hmm. um, Cause that's just in my nature. And I just wanted to do right by him, by his agents, by his family. Um, and ultimately, you know, for myself as well, in my own mm -hmm. kickstart for my career, I thought it was a great opportunity. Um, yeah. And it was honestly random how it, it came about because I, so I was a walk-on mm -hmm. at both of the division schools I went to. And mm -hmm. my walk-on journey was like not as fun as maybe, you know, a Michigan State walk-on yeah. journey or, or Coach K's grandson at Duke <laughs> where they're just, you know, mm -hmm. maybe peaches and rainbows for them. Mine was right. a little bit the opposite. And so yeah. when NIL passed in 2021, I was, I had a fifth year because mm -hmm. of all the transferring I did. Um, and I just thought, like, I always wanted to podcast. And so I started a show called Walkie Talkies Podcast. And it was centered around just interviewing current and former walk-ons of any sport, of any era, 
And it got to the point where like I was hustling and hustling so much mm-hmm. to teach myself it, but also to get guests on. I was doing every layer by myself. Right. And I ended up getting Rudy Rudiger from the, you know, infamous Notre Dame football movie Rudy. Mm-hmm. I got Andre Drummer Drummond on the show. I interviewed wow. Brad Calipari, mm-hmm. um, Coach Calson when he was a walk on at Kentucky. So I was just hustling because I, you know, I cared a lot about like other people's walk on stories and I thought it was a really good idea, you know, to put on a platform. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up getting a deal with like a new podcast network that was attached to iHeartRadio. Mm-hmm. And um, I wouldn't say I got so good at it, but I got really experienced because I was putting out episodes every single week. I was super consistent. I, yeah. again, I cared about it a lot. Like I wasn't going to, oh, I want to start a podcast. And I put out two episodes and you never hear from me again. I wasn't yep. going to be that guy. Like I truly wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. So fast forward and I'm putting out episodes weekly last summer with walkie talkies and the network and iHeart was trying to get a deal with drew and some bigger name college mm-hmm. athletes they ended up getting drew and the cavender twins but how it came about for me was like they needed someone to host it and yeah. produce it and they had no one but it was kind of like a you know his agents who i love now i got mm-hmm. have a great relationship with both of them which has mm-hmm. been great but at the time we're like well you know we'll have a phone call with like who you think you know your potential host and producer could be for drew and if Drew likes him, then maybe we'll like, you know, move forward. Mm-hmm. So then it became like, oh, wow. Like if this happens, this is only going to happen if Drew likes me. Like if, me, <laughs> if I have a good impression on Drew on this like random phone call on a Tuesday morning, whenever Drew, you know, calls mm-hmm. me and I knew the call was coming. It was like Tuesday at 1 p.m. Like expect Drew Timmy to call you. And I was like, well, OK, that's so weird, but OK. <laughs> <laughs> and so we just got on the phone and it was, you know. It was if I've known him for 10 years because yeah. he's a bro and I'm, you know, yeah. it just was easy and, and we're very similar. And obviously that carried on into the show. And so from that initial phone call, it just became on my shoulders to like, you know, fully sell him. I'm like, hey, I think this is something you really should do. Mm-hmm. And my biggest pitch was like, buddy, I'm going to make it as easy as possible, as easy as easy as possible for you. You, you ain't mm-hmm. going to have to do shit. I'll do everything. Yep. Just get your ass on the call once a week, two, three hours. We'll go through it before we record. We'll record and then we'll get you the hell out of here. And mm-hmm. then it just became a point where that was our rhythm, but we just became friends out of it. Like yeah. we would sit on the Zoom call, you know, for three hours after recording, like eating pizza, drink, you know, just chilling. Like, because yep. we're just, we were just, that was our week to hang out, kick it. And it was great because, like, I didn't, at that point, as that became the rhythm, I didn't really care about the podcast. So I was just like, oh, it's the right. whole time my goal was like, well, hopefully we just become friends, man. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the podcast is fun. And then we became friends. You know, I go, I went to Spokane back to back weekends. Yeah. Um, for that St. Mary's game and the, you know, college game day came out mm-hmm. and then I went back there like a week and a half later and we recorded a live podcast, um, at the casino out there, which was great. Yeah. So like, it was just like a big, you know, one step at a time to kind of like sell them on the thing, then get the podcast rolling and ultimately do a good job on it. And I mean, I don't really love talking myself up, but I do think me and Drew did a kick-ass job yeah. on that thing. And it was so much fun. Well, and and I think that's what came through in the show was that you, it seemed natural. Like I didn't know until you told me recently that you didn't know Drew beforehand. Like I assumed that you guys had known each other because it seemed so, so natural on the show. And, and and, I mean, that's a credit to you, but it's also a credit to the fact that Drew Timmy talks kind of seems like he talks to everybody as if they've been his friend for a long time. Like he just has this very charismatic kind of aura around him. And, and, And I'm curious for you, Noah, what the experience was like, not only, just getting to to talk with him about the day to day, the week to week of college basketball, but really kind of 
getting to get a, a look under the hood at last year's Gonzaga roster because it was a pretty interesting season for Gonzaga. They were not as dominant as they've been historically. They still made it to the Elite Eight and lost to the defender, the, the ultimate national champion. So it's, it's very hard to call it a bad season. And they had a ridiculous non-conference schedule. I mean, a murderer's row of opponents that they faced in Baylor and Michigan State and Purdue and Texas and Kentucky. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And we saw this team kind of seem to struggle to find their own a little bit. And some of the stuff we heard was like, so communication was maybe something that Mark Few wasn't thrilled about with the team and a lot of guys on their phones and whatever, like some of this kind of information that we got from the team. And for you as somebody who has been, you know, around college basketball for a long time, what did you think of this team and, and kind of how they managed to rally together towards the end and, and still put together a really solid tournament uh, appearance for the, for the Zags? Yeah. I mean, I think based on like how the Rocky tough non-conference mm-hmm. schedule went and mm-hmm. then even like a loss to LMU yeah you know at the last second break their home win streak I, I think like they overachieved ultimately like mm-hmm. nobody was picking them to get that far yeah they landed as a three seed and it stinks that they got the draw of being in the same exact bracket side of the bracket as UConn and mm-hmm. yes it sucks that they got UConn on one day of prep and you know right. a little bit more sore legs than they had in the sweet 16 game but I mean, throughout the course of the season, like we talked about it so much on the podcast because Drew just kept hammering it. Like, just give Mm -hmm. us time. We're new. We're going to start gelling. We're going to start clicking. And seriously, by the end of the year, and we were saying it on the show, like you Mm -hmm. guys are clicking on all cylinders. Like shit is smooth. Like to the point where the St. Mary's game to clinch a share of the WCC was so balanced where you knew the whole time that 12, 14 point cushion, like they Mm -hmm. weren't going to blow that at home. There was, you know, and then it bled over into the, WCC conference championship t- the right. tournament yeah. um and they were just handling teams and that's yeah. what made me comfortable like going to the tournament like I think they got a real chance like mm-hmm. you got this guy on your team that's experienced he's a winner he's a leader mm-hmm. and he's going to do everything he can to rally the guys around him yeah and obviously like the UConn draw they just yeah. sucks that they got on their side of the bracket and it sucks yeah. that UConn just was as good as they were I mean yeah. like the big east that little losing streak they had and getting a fourth seed like mm-hmm. you know it was deceiving to who they really were, but they were that dominant team prior to Big East play all year. And then they got out of the Big East and they went right back to kicking ass. And it was like, okay, well, this team, you know, that was their identity. They truly were that good. So it was a bummer. But just watching them all throughout the year, like I remember having so much frustration in the beginning of like, well, damn, like if Drew isn't scoring, who's going to be their secondary scorer? And I had Mm -hmm. to get used to some of the players that were role players in the past being Mm -hmm. more prominent especially like julian and anton um and even nolan and Mm -hmm. rasier because a lot of them had like the secondary roles Mm -hmm. because you had Suggs, you had chet you had nemhart Mm -hmm. and it it weren't really dependent on and Mm -hmm. it was always frustrating to me because i'm just like dude like i always wanted julian to be the guy i'm like if drew ain't doing it it's got to be julian it's got to be julian i'm always like yeah talking to drew like at the end of the podcast like just Mm -hmm. giving him my unsolicited opinion because (laughs) as someone who's been around college basketball i'm just like i wanted to know and i'm like what you know you got like what what is the vibe in there like is someone Mm going to step up and then eventually like guys got comfortable a little bit more solidified in their roles and like just being more of like understanding like oh i'm actually more of a prominent piece on this team than like i ever was and so that's like a you know another transitional period players have to go through Mm-hmm. and they're uncomfortable at first and then they become comfortable and it's like we saw julian get real comfortable big yeah. shot after big shot winning games 40 balls like and mm-hmm. he became the guy you know so yeah. 
I was at that game in Portland when Julian dropped 40 on the pilots. And uh, as soon as watching that unfold, I was like, this is what, this is what was needed. Like yeah. not just for Julian, but for this entire team to, to prove to everybody who's watching that game, that there is a secondary scorer on this team. <laughs> like there is somebody who can step up and do that. And I mean, he, I think he hit eight threes in that game I and mean, he just cooked that entire 40 minutes and UP like they clearly game planned to, to fun, you know, stop drew, to put a bunch of pressure on him in the middle, not let him get the ball. And I get why that was the strategy. And I talked to their coach and he, I mean, he admitted it, but it's like, when you have somebody like that, who could drop a 40 on you from the perimeter, what the heck are you going to do? Like that, that team becomes borderline unstoppable with just those two guys doing what they're doing. It was insane to watch. Yeah. I mean, listening to Mark few to talk about like, how they were silent. Maybe communication was a problem. Like mm -hmm. I had the chance of like, when I went out to Spokane, like I was around them after the big win mm -hmm. and, you know, we were out at, I don't know what bar we were at, but mm -hmm. a couple of the guys were there. And like, I think they were just a little bit more relaxed because the game was over and like, yeah. they weren't quiet to me, you know, like right. everybody was really, sure. really opening and, and mm -hmm. warm and like just super friendly. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't get the same vibe that, you know, obviously mm -hmm. coach view few was getting on yeah. a day to day basis, but I think that's like a just a more of a broad problem around mm -hmm. sure. this era of college basketball. Like, I mean, because I experienced it my last couple of years where like mm -hmm. it, the comforting thing is to just like when you finish practice or you get on the bus mm -hmm. after a game and just like dive mm -hmm. right into your phone and like yeah. be void of all actual human interaction and like go crawl into your ball and be a mm -hmm. hermit. And I hate that because it's mm -hmm. like, you know, you're around your teammates, dude. Like my, yeah. I, I, the way I was brought up in my first three years of college with my, cause I was a younger guy, those mm -hmm. first two, three years, all the older cats, like they were like born in, earlier in the nineties, like 94, mm -hmm. 95, 96. Mm -hmm. And like those guys just didn't operate like that. Like it was very just like, yeah, we're playing Uno together. Like, or we're interacting this way to like, you know what I mean? It was very right. like hands-on and like just more interactive. And I feel like mm -hmm. now my last couple years of college, as I was the older guy, all the young guys coming in are just like, not it's just like that. yeah it's just like kind of what they know and that's not their fault but mm -hmm. as like a spectator it just was like a, I, i've assumed that that's probably what goes on in the majority of these locker rooms and a lot of coaches are struggling with the same exact thing like yeah. just getting guys to talk to each other no last question i want to ask you here before i let you go um drew timmy is no longer in college of course he made it very clear that four years was good for him and i respect that he didn't i love that he dragged it out the first year but it was kind of this year he was like nope we're four years is done we're not there's no mystery i'm, I'm gonna play professional basketball uh we see him go undrafted we see him sign with the milwaukee bucks uh we see him not get a lot of playing time in summer league less than i certainly would have thought um i was uh, will admit to being frustrated to seeing a whole heck of a lot of taco fall and a lot less of drew timmy for the milwaukee bucks and um I don't think that him going undrafted was necessarily a shock in the sense that he wasn't on a ton of mock drafts because of his age and because of, I mean, the, the, the simple fact that his game doesn't translate to the modern NBA the way that it would have translated to the NBA in the 90s or 80s. And we kind of knew that. And he's far from alone in this. Uh, Oscar Shibway goes undrafted. Zach Eady comes back to school because he's not projected to go drafted. Like it's it's a theme in college basketball, but You've seen Drew more than almost anybody. You and I have seen a whole bunch of him, and, and it's frustrating to me to not see him get the opportunities that I think he deserves and, and the skill sets that I think he possesses that could make him a valuable NBA player just hasn't really gotten a chance to show them. I'm curious, you know, having spent a lot of time with him, where you think uh, uh, he should have ended up and maybe uh, frustrations with where he's at right now. Oh, man. I'm, I'm glad you asked me, Andy, because this has been one of the single most maddening issues of my summer. 
yeah. is like knowing that he wasn't going to get drafted because he wasn't on any mock drafts right. and then questioning and arguing like he does he deserves a nod at the very least yeah. in the latest round in the later part mm-hmm. of the second round like at yeah. the very least because of his resume alone yeah. like and to, you know i know a lot of people keep throwing around like oh well Edie went back and mm-hmm. Shibway didn't get drafted and sonogo didn't get drafted mm-hmm. and it's like okay well neither of them are as good as drew and neither of them are as offensively talented as drew and it's like neither of them are as proven as drew so i don't even put them in the same category i don't and that's no disrespect to them i just think that drew is on a tier above the rest of these guys and to do what he did in college i don't even remember what the win total was it was over 115 he had the national championship the final four appearance the the two elite eight or the sweet 16 the elite eight like he did it all and he's the leading scorer in gonzaga he he proved night in and night out that he is a winner and i think that in my experience of like seeing these guys that are like maybe not your prototypical nba players Mm -hmm. like frank kaminsky he still got a nod at the third as i think he was the 13th overall pick and sure frank shot it a little bit more a lot more in college Mm -hmm. than drew did no question about it Mm -hmm. but i think on the whole scope of it like you use those two as an example because i think what people are clinging to is like oh the slow white boy he ain't he ain't good enough and it's like okay cool that's a you know maybe a fair criticism to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but you can't negate everything else he does. Like if Drew was a bad passer, which he's mm-hmm. not, and if Drew had a bad IQ, which he doesn't, mm-hmm. I probably would feel like less strongly about how much he deserves a chance. But I just think that he's such a plug and play guy with his mm-hmm. IQ, with his willingness to pass, to lead, to take charges, put his body on the line, use his body, like doesn't yeah. care about getting hurt, doesn't care about playing through injury. Like mm-hmm. he's as much of a blue collar guy that's just going to get down, get dirty, mm-hmm. doesn't give a shit, do what yeah. you ask him to do. And I just like, and I've been saying this to everybody who asked me because mm-hmm. everybody's like anybody who like watches it or that I tricks, I'm around basketball all day. And if people mm-hmm. knew that I was doing the podcast, they're like, oh, like they like think it's funny. Like, oh, your boy's not going to get drafted. And I'm like, hey, man, fuck you. Like he should get drafted. <laughs> like you don't know what you're talking. It's one of those yeah. like hate things like, oh, he's 22. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about him being 22 is like he only did four traditional years. He didn't right. do five. He did four. Didn't Grayson Allen do four years at Duke? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Because he's a little bit more athletic and he showed that he could. Well, he's a lot more athletic and he mm-hmm. showed that he could shoot the three consistently. Mm-hmm. Cool. He gets a nod and he's a solid role player in the NBA. Yeah. But like mm-hmm. look at the look at the circumstances around Drew. He wasn't asked to shoot any three pointers. It was not part of his role. Yeah. He didn't need to like he really didn't even need to. Why settle outside when he could just be in the paint? get an easier look, distribute out of the post. Like Mm -hmm. he could do all of those things. And I think that that obviously hindered his draft stock. And that's Mm -hmm. just a bummer to me because like I said, with that type of resume, you at the very least deserve, I mean, even at bare minimum, a two way. Yeah. To get the exhibit 10, like I'm, I'm like, okay, well I'm going to see a tweet about Drew's name and he's going to have an offer Mm -hmm. with some team. Where's he going to land? And I expected a two way. And there's a ton of guys, like I'm pretty sure, Sonogo mm-hmm. or Shibwe with the Pacers got a two-way. Yeah, so that Sonogo did two, I think. I'm not 100%. But. And like Marquise Noel got a two-way with the Raptors. And it's yeah. like, okay, there's a, you know, all these guys deserved that. But why mm-hmm. of all people, yeah. Drew Timmy doesn't? Mm-hmm. And, and he only gets an exhibit 10. And, and the other part of it, like you said about the Summer League, I mean, you couldn't ask for a worse pairing to be paired with Taco Fall. There's no worse player to be on the floor with Drew Timmy at the exact same time than Taco Fall. And that's no knock against Taco. It's just... Mm-hmm. We suck all the space out of the court. I mean, there's no room. Brutal. There's no room. Mm-hmm. And the Bucks had 21 guys on their summer league roster, man. It wasn't like some like, yeah, we're going to get you, you know, 30 minutes a night. 
I, I forget who they were playing, and I don't mean to go on this long ramp, but you can tell it bothers me. <laughs> they were playing somebody. It was a Saturday night, I believe, mm-hmm. and I wish I remember the team name. They were down like 14, 15, headed into the second quarter. They put Drew in, and I think he has like four quick points. He took a charge. He had like two rebounds, two tap-out uh, offensive rebounds, two assists, and all of a sudden it was just like a six- or seven-point game. I think it was like a five-point game headed like late into the second quarter, and they took him out. They gave him a breather, but the whole broadcast for like those six minutes that he was in the game all of a sudden turned into the Drew Timmy show. They got the graphics of what he did in college. Shanning Fry and the play-by-play guy were just you know all over Drew, and I'm like, is it not? that clear to any like everybody else that the imprint on the game is it's that easy for him like he's that impactful of a player because it's easy like the game is truly easy for him and all the guys that they keep picking over him is the last thing i'll say Mm -hmm. all the guys that they keep drafting over him because of their athletic potential Mm -hmm. he has he has put in the in the in the cup Mm -hmm. he's 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 beat him he's, he's beat them he showed like oh well i mean yeah cool he's seven foot and athletic with a long wingspan but like I'm going to score on him too. I'm not right. going to have any problems. Like, yeah, sure. Maybe he'll have some struggles on the defensive end, but like <laughs> what guy in the NBA doesn't struggle on the defensive right. end? Even the best defenders struggle to a certain extent. Like that's why I think he just deserves a chance. Mm-hmm. And if he truly fails, fine. At least he got a chance based on what he accomplished mm-hmm. for the last four years. He ain't 24 years old. Where it's like, we ain't mm-hmm. going to get anything out of it. No, he's 22. He's fresh legs. He's experienced. He's ready to work. And I, you know, I just think it's unfortunate. Like, I don't think that that's like a fair deck. Of, not that everything's fair, but I don't think it's a fair deck of cards to be given after accomplishing what he's accomplished. A hundred percent with you on all that. I think the the fact that people say, well, how is he going to guard Nikola Jokic? If anybody could guard Nikola Jokic, he wouldn't have uh, the hardware that he has. Like, that's a completely unfair thing to to say. And also, Drew hung 25 on Evan Mobley and I, I in the 2021 <laughs> NCAA tournament. Yeah, Evan Mobley I mean. is like a defensive player of the year candidate in the NBA yeah. already. And he's super young. Like, does one game mean that Drew would consistently hang 25 on NBA defenders? No, but he did it. Like you have definitive proof that he's done it. Like he's proven he can score on NBA caliber defensive players and good NBA defensive players. It's just shocking to me that, that uh, he doesn't get more than kind of a sniff. And even when, if he played poorly for the bucks, like you said, if he played bad in the, in the playing time he got, maybe you could understand why his playing time might diminish, Uh, but he didn't. But but what's funny about like if his playing, if the time he had it, it, you know, if it was bad, which it wasn't bad because he didn't even have enough minutes to really decide if he was good or bad outside of that little six minute stretch that I watched the one day. Mm -hmm. But like, I just think it's truly crazy that like he wasn't even awarded the time in the summer league to like really put like show like normal, like. I, I can't put it into words because normally I, I just can't remember the last time I've seen a guy as accomplished as him that did as much as he did for such a historic program mm-hmm. and a program that let's not sugarcoat it mm-hmm. like literally breeds NBA players, especially yeah. especially big men. Yeah. And it's like I, I can't remember the last time a guy as accomplished as him mm-hmm. had such little reward yeah. headed into his NBA journey and so much more stacked against him where it's like, mm-hmm. wait, you might really not get a chance like you uh-huh. might actually only start. Or maybe not even start on the G League team. Like I think that the Bucks had like one more two way to give away, and I forget the guy's name that they were saying was going to inevitably get it. And it's like, well, that's you know, that's a real bummer because yeah. like I don't, I, I keep going back to the it's not fair, but mm-hmm. like truly, I want to know, and maybe I have to do more research. Who's the last guy as successful as he has been in college basketball that was snubbed this quickly into his NBA journey yeah. with like, 
hey man, here's your minimal opportunity. Hey, here's like your mm-hmm. two minutes. Let's see what you can do. And I remember talking to Drew. I, I was on FaceTime with him a couple of days after that game. Mm-hmm. And he got back in in the fourth quarter. He didn't he he got out of the two minute mark of the second quarter, sat, mm-hmm. sat for halftime, sat for the entire third, gets back in the game like the eight minute mark of the fourth quarter. And I think he had a, a moving screen and mm-hmm. a turnover with the ball. Mm-hmm. So he had two turnovers. And after the second one, they yanked him. He was in the game for like 75 seconds. Jeez. And I mean, I just said to him, I was like, well, there's no way your legs were feeling good. Like mm-hmm. you needed you needed at least three more minutes to run up and down to like get back into the flow of yeah, the game. And he was like, oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And so it's just like to, to, to stack the deck mm-hmm. that much against him. I, I, I think if there's someone that can figure out a way to figure it out, mm-hmm. I think it'll be him. And yeah. I'm not even sitting here advocating like, oh, Drew Timmy deserves a chance to be an NBA all-star. You got to give mm-hmm. him all the... No, like he just deserves, deserves a chance to be like on the team. Yeah. Like, because he'll do the rest. If you put him on a team, like I don't mm-hmm. have any doubt that he's going to figure out a way to like, oh, you know what? It's hard not to play this guy. Yeah. So I think just giving him that chance and letting him like run with the opportunity. He just needs the opportunity. And I'll be happy if he just gets the opportunity. If he fails, mm-hmm. he fails. But like, I can't believe you have to argue this much that he just deserves a chance. Yeah. I, <laughs> with you 100%, Noah, that was incredible stuff. I think uh, hopefully Drew will get that opportunity because I have zero doubt. And I don't, doesn't sound like you have any doubt either that, that he'll make the most of it if he's given that shot. Noah, no doubt. Th- thank you so much, man, for taking the time to come on the show. I really appreciate you coming on and talking some UConn, talking some Zags, talking some Gimme Timmy podcast. That was, that was a lot of fun. And folks, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show as well. We appreciate you. We got more conference realignment conversation, more transfer portal conversation coming your way in future episodes here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, but that is going to wrap us up for today. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, peace out.